0: It's been a while. We did it in the fall, and now we're back into it. And Romans is interesting because the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this church that he did not found, and he never visited it. So he wanted these people that he was aligned with, with the gospel, because they would help bring the gospel to the rest of the world. He needed other life-giving churches to partner with him to bring the gospel. and It just reminds me of Fox Valley Church so much, is we love partnering with other churches, other groups that are life-giving. When they're gospel-oriented, we just want to charge ahead with them because the gospel is the hope of the world. Now, we ask ourselves, as it says world, what I've been trying to say is that the world, that's all Christians, all Hindus, All Muslims, all Jews, all people of any faith and all people of no faith, all people, you get the point, need to hear the book of Romans. And I know you're asking, why? The book of Romans gives us the clearest statement with the deepest analysis of the human problem and it gives the solution, the only solution possible solution so that is why people need to hear the book of Romans now some of you are asking now what's the deepest problem What, what is this all about and we'll get into that in a moment we talked about it in the fall we'll bring that back so that we're all on the same page but one of the things I've asked the entire body to do is memorize one verse just one verse Romans Chapter 1, verse 16. The Apostle Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Just stop there. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God. And what does he say? The power of God for salvation. For deliverance. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is where God just swings open a wide open door for all of us. So the question is, are you ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed? Is it something that you keep to yourself? You you keep private about it because it's awfully hard when you get so clear on what the gospel is and what it does for people's lives. I remember coming across an article, it was written by a man named Bert, Bertrand Russell, it was actually a lecture he gave in 1927, March 6, 1927, and he wrote, Why I Am Not a Christian. He was a philosopher, he was a mathematician, he was a Nobel Prize winner, and he wrote this article that stirred the world as he wrote, Why I I am not a Christian. Well, this morning I'm not going to try to answer Bertrand Russell's arguments and his reasons, but what I'm going to tell you is why I personally am a Christian. And it's going to be based right out of what we're going to read today. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Romans Chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. If you have a device, that's awesome. What I think is so important is that you have the Word of God in front of you. This Word is living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It will pierce to the very core of your being. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, (laughs) you are so good, so powerful. And those words just ring in our ears. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God, for salvation, deliverance, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, the Greek. God, let those words become more true in our hearts every day. Help us in the study of your word. Change us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, wow. What a powerful, powerful launch back into the book of Romans as we go there today. As we we start moving into this section, let us just do a quick little bit of review because we need to refresh ourselves of what happened in chapters one all the way to chapter four so in chapters one verse 18 and first the first verses are just an intro but verses 18 to chapter 3 verse 20 paul lays out the deepest problem the human problem and it is sin right now you see this picture and i've tried to couch this in the world that it is part of everything that we do and say it's just permeates the whole world. I have three statements under there. Let me just look at those very quickly. First of all, you know, there's books, volumes written about sin, but sin is, as I'm thinking of it today, talking about it based on Romans, it's rebellion against God. It's rebellion against God, right? All of us are rebels by nature and by choice. That's what sin has done. It's moved in this. And what happens when we talk about rebellion against God it's what we're doing with that is that we de-God God. We throw God off his throne and if he's off his throne, who's on it? You are. And that's what sin is. It's de-God God. And once we start doing that we start acting like we know what's best we know what's right, we know what Things should do and how they should be moving but it leads to idolatry and anything anytime we worship anything anyone that's not God it's idolatry and we're just good at making idols we can create anything into an idol and so this is what sin has done to us the second thing is it makes us spiritually dead now you have to answer that question how dead is dead and dead is dead that means you have no life in you towards God or to reach towards God. You are spiritually crossed out when you talk about relating to God. You are totally dead. And it says we are guilty before God. We're condemned, right? So we are guilty before a holy God. That's what sin has done. And then sin is universal and it is pervasive when I say universal no one escapes it all of us are sinners all of us are rebels by nature by choice and it just spreads now practically what does this look like I think the simplest way to look at what this rebellion has done is it has torn apart relationships it tore apart our relationship with God and it tears apart all of our relationships if you're married it has a way of tearing apart your marital relationship. If you have children, it has a way of tearing apart relationships in the family. That's what I mean that it is pervasive. It just spreads. It has a way of just disconnecting people, causing disharmony and disunity. It causes discord. It causes all of these different things in our relationships. If you're single, It strains and stretches all of your relationships just like everyone else. We're helpless under the power of sin. We're without escape. That's the power of sin. It controls us. In fact, we are so bad, it's it's hard to fathom what is in the human heart. When I say, you know, you're bad, I mean, you're bad, I'm not bad. (laughs) Now when we say that, you're kind of thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Because look to the person next to you. You think, well, I'm not as bad as them. <laughs> oh, you got to be careful here, right? Because when we compare each other, when we compare ourselves, we don't look that bad. But when we compare ourselves to God, that's what we're talking about. We are bad. Carl Krauss, he said this. I love this statement. Listen to this. The devil is wildly optimistic if he thinks he can make human beings worse than they are. (laughs) It's terrible. It's terrible. That is what sin has done. It has destroyed everything. And God has given us this as he looks at the human problem and says, this is serious. And then he analyzes it. And that's where we get into the brokenness of all these relationships. But that's not all. It gets worse. The human problem gets worse. God's wrath is being poured out against all ungodliness. Now some people, a lot of churches, a lot of Christians don't like to talk about God's wrath. Partly because we too easily equate it with human anger. But human anger can be fickle. It it can move in all kinds of directions, but God's wrath is settled, it's determined, and it's perfectly righteous as it moves against all ungodliness. Now there's a lot of problems in our world. And I often talk about this, right? There's lots of problems. We could talk about problems of war or the threat of war. We could talk about the problems of trafficking, all kinds of human trafficking. We could talk about the problems of of pollution. We could talk about the problem of the pandemic. We could talk about the problem of poverty. We could talk about all these different sexual areas that are just destroying men's souls like pornography, or women's souls, like pornography. We can talk about drugs. We can talk about all kinds of addictions that are destroying. All of those are terrible. We could talk about what's going on in our present culture with questions of genderism, and all of this is ripping apart the fabric of our culture. But all of that, as bad as that is, and it's bad, pales in comparison to the wrath of God being poured out against all ungodliness. God will not shrink back. It's not debatable. Romans just lays it out. The wrath of God is poured out against all ungodliness. If you want to leave now, this might be a good time to leave, right? I mean, it's depressing. But you might want to stick around for the solution, right? Because God didn't leave us in this predicament. God's solution is the cross of Jesus Christ. The most penetrating analysis ever written anywhere is in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, verses 21 to 26, where he lays out what the cross of Jesus Christ did. It upholds the justice of God because Jesus stood condemned in our place. Think about that. He took all of my guilt, all of your guilt, all of my shame, all of your shame upon himself. So this huge problem called sin, rebellion against God, that caused God's wrath to turn against all of it, Jesus Christ steps in between and says, let me be your savior. That's powerful. You can't earn this. You can't work for it. You don't deserve it. And so Paul introduces us to a word called justification. Justification is this idea of being right with God. We are declared right with God. It's, It's something that God achieved for you and for me, all Christ followers, based on the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything is grounded in the cross justification is huge it's the only way that that relationship between us and God could be made right justification Romans chapter 1 all the way from 327 especially 327 to chapter 4 is just arguing justification over and over and it was well said roughly about 500 years ago that we are declared right this way by the grace of God alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Now a quick quiz, uh, quiz question. How are you saved? So many people say, I'm saved by faith. That is not the correct answer. You are saved, and it's the only way to be saved, by grace. The way you receive that grace is through faith. So we are saved by grace alone. It's a gift. You can't earn it. That's what grace is. It's something that God gives to you. And the way you receive it, as we've said when we were in the series earlier, is you just receive it by faith. Just like if I was going to give you my iPad or I'm going to give you my phone or whatever, What would you have to do? You'd have to reach your hand out. What we have to do is reach out by faith. It's faith alone. And it's centered in the person of Jesus Christ alone. Why? As Paul makes clear, so that there's no boasting. He strips the world of an opportunity to boast. That's why these solas are so important. We are made right or declared right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. So that sets us all up right now for where we are and why I am a Christian. There's six outcomes that become a big part of what the Apostle Paul is doing. And as we get here, let me just be really clear. We got the therefore, you you see this therefore at the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. When you see that, always stop as a Bible reader and say, wait a minute, it must be linking back, and most often it does, sometimes it goes forward, but almost always it looks backwards. He says, therefore, because you have been declared right with God, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Therefore, because of all of that, we have been justified. There's our word, justified again. Justification. And here is the first thing he says. We have peace with God. And it comes only through Jesus Christ. So, as we look at this, our first outcome that is so critical, is that we have peace with God. Now what does he mean? Well, we said that sin, or rebellion against God, he's now telling us that that rebellion is removed. It's over. The enmity between us and God, because of Christ and his cross, is removed. And that is good news. So we have peace with God. No more hostility. His anger is not going to be poured out on you ever because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brought down the walls that divided us from God. God's wrath, as we'll see in a little bit too, is removed completely. We are no longer, for anyone here that has put their trust in Christ, we are no longer objects of God's wrath. Wow. Just let that sink in. The greatest problem in the world, bar none, is that God's wrath is being poured out against all ungodliness, and Jesus takes that off the table for you and for me if you're a Christ follower. That's why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ makes it possible to have peace with God. Well, let's look at a second one, and that is, a second uh, outcome is we stand in grace. Now, we stand in grace. This word is powerful in the scriptures. Before we look at it in chapter 5 here, let me just say that grace is what makes Christianity distinctive every religion of the world tells you and me the only way to connect with God however this God gets defined is you got to work for it you got to earn it somehow you've got to get that God's attention so that you can connect with him and Christianity pulls that structure apart and says no it's by grace It's by grace alone, and we stand in that grace. Let me just pull that up in here. We see it. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith again into this grace, this grace in which we stand. Because of Jesus Christ, we stand in this grace. We experience, when I say this, I'm talking about experiencing the very presence, the goodness of God. That is the grace of God, that He reveals Himself, shows Himself, lets us get to know Him. And we stand in that grace. Now, I've been reflecting on this. I'm like, how do I, how do I grab hold of this so that you can, can feel it and know it and experience it? So years ago, when I was bringing my family to Disney World in Orlando, right? There was this ride. It was a really cool ride. It was, as I recall anyways, it's been a long time, is a log ride down a river. And it was a hot day when we were there. I mean, it was blistering hot in Orlando. And so you get in line for this ride, and they know what they're doing. They bring that line right near this river of water. And what happens? Water splashes out. But you just get a few drops on you. You're burning up and they give you a drop or two? And what do you do? You're in this line and you're snaking through and you're longing to get on that ride. Why? Because everyone that takes that ride gets drenched in water, soaking wet. I thought that is a picture of the grace of God. We're standing in line. And God, just out of His goodness, but out of design, splashes grace on us every once in a while. You know how it comes? It comes when a brother or sister in Christ does something kind. Maybe you're not even a believer, right? And and, and they do something, and the grace splashes on you. And God does this all around the world. He just splashes grace. Why? Because it makes you long to get on the log ride. It makes you long to get into the river of grace. And Christians are in the river of grace. That's what Paul is saying. Is that we move out of the line and we get into this river of refreshment and joy and peace and freedom and comfort in God himself. He strips the yoke of slavery off of us. That yoke of slavery as you're in the line and you're burning and you're waiting to get into the river of grace, that all gets removed and God says, you are now in this river of abundance of goodness. That's grace. You can feel it as that, that water just washes over you and takes care of you. That's what we're talking about here. This is how Christians live. You don't start with grace and then leave it behind. By the way, a lot of Christians do that, don't they? What they want you to do is somehow get into a moral improvement program. Somehow, if you jump through enough hoops, you'll be a good Christian. You don't start with grace and leave grace. You start with grace, you continue in grace, and you'll hold on to grace. It's all the gift of God. He is the one that allows us to live the Christian life. It's all grace. We stand in grace. We live in grace. We experience grace. It's the only way to walk with God through Jesus Christ. That's where Paul is going. Well, there's a third outcome we need to hit, and that is we're saved from God's wrath. So we're saved from God's wrath. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul, he writes this. He says, Since since therefore we have now been, here's our word again, justified, declared right with God. How? By this blood. That's the grace of God that he gave us that blood. Much more shall we be saved or delivered from what? The wrath. Of God so so powerful that's one of the reasons I'm a Christian the greatest problem is gone and Jesus Christ delivered me from the wrath of God it's because of Jesus Christ going back to Florida when I was a kid I turned red when I was under the sun for even a short time, right? I just burned. And when I was a kid, we really didn't have any kind of sunscreen like we have today. I was reflecting on this, and it's like what Jesus Christ has done is he's like this sunscreen. I lather up now with speck, whatever number I can find, the highest, right? And what does it do? It protects me from the sun, the burning sun. Jesus Christ's blood protects you and me from the burning rage of God that's being poured out against all ungodliness. This is a good time right now to just like pause and take the Lord's Supper. It's a time to just reflect on having peace with God, standing in his grace, knowing that his wrath has been removed. So when you came in, you should have received a little bit of a cup uh, with, the elements we're going to do is take a moment and God is calling us remember the relational part of this the hostility gone is God is calling you to connect with him God is calling you right now to meet with him because of what Jesus Christ has done And in order to get our hearts in a better place, to just move us more into this, that God is calling you. Let me just say, if you're here and you've never put your trust in Christ, Jesus is calling you. He's saying, come to me, I will get rid of the wrath of God. Come to me, I'll deal with your sin and rebellion. Come to me and I'll wash you clean. Maybe you're here and you've drifted. Jesus is talking to you right now and he's saying, come to me. Come home. Come back. Maybe you haven't drifted. Jesus is reminding you, come sit in my lap. Come fellowship with me. See, it's a call that Jesus has for all of us. So we're going to take a moment. I'm going to invite Pastor Brad out and Tara. And they're they're just going to take us to a place where we can reflect on, on Jesus calling us and taking us there. And then I'll come back And we'll take the Lord's Supper together. That's the beauty of grace, isn't it? That call is constantly coming to you and to me. We can be in the presence of our God. And so on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body that's been broken so that we could be one and we could be in fellowship as often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. That same night he took the cup. He blessed it and he gave thanks. He said, this is to establish a new covenant relationship so that our guilt could be washed away, our shame could be removed, we could find full and final forgiveness. And he said, as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ brings peace, peace with you that we can be in your arms, snuggled into your bosom with no hostility, no enmity, no animosity, that we can stand in your grace and that you have removed your wrath from us. For that we are grateful and eternally thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's do three more outcomes very quickly found in this passage. The fourth outcome, because we are justified with God, is that we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. And of course, that's where the Apostle Paul takes us in verse 2. He says, through Him, Jesus, we have obtained access into this grace. But then he goes on and says, we rejoice in the hope. Of the glory of God. So it's this last part we're interested in. We rejoice. That word rejoice. Some of you may have a translation that says we boast. And we, we boast. It's this idea of a joyful confidence in the good news. That's why Paul said in chapter 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And what the Jews were doing is they were rejoicing or boasting about God. And what Paul is doing here is saying that we can rejoice in this hope because of Jesus Christ. We have this confident joy. Well, what are we rejoicing in when we say hope? It's this confident assurance in the glory of God that God is, and this is what's so amazing about Christianity, is God is transforming us from the inside out. He is taking our heart of stone and He's transforming it into a heart of flesh. He is taking our Affections that are all messed up, and he's starting to straighten them out and move them in a direction so that we'll love the things that God loves, that we'll do the things that God wants us to do. It'll be an internal impulse, not an external yoke of slavery. That's what he's talking about. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this that or verse 4, it says this. We are becoming partakers of the divine nature you know what he means by that we are becoming more and more like jesus christ more and more will take on the very character of jesus christ that's what is happening here that's what it is about this glory that we're seeing here in verse 2 of chapter 5 rejoice in the hope of the glory of god that we will be sharing in god likeness that's this internal transformation here's a fifth We rejoice, these are all going to be rejoicing, we rejoice in our suffering, right? We we see that in verses 3 to 5, he says this, not only that, but look what he says, we rejoice, here's the same word, the same confident joy in our sufferings. Now, when he says sufferings here, he's not talking merely or just about persecution. He is talking about all suffering of any kind can be included in this. Jesus conquered all evil. When Jesus died on the cross, he put the death to death. He conquered all evil, all suffering. Even though we still have to deal with it, it will one day all be removed. And we rejoice in our sufferings. You say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How how do we do this? And I think the way I want to answer this is that suffering has God's reasons. Just my phrase, all suffering, whether it's cancer Whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's persecution, just whatever it is in your life, God has a reason. Now, why do I say it so strongly? Because if evil and suffering is out of God's control, we are in big trouble. We may not understand why God is doing something, why God is allowing something, why God is bringing this suffering into our life, but what becomes really clear is none of it is outside of God's control. This world is not spinning willy-nilly out of control. God has it in control. And so when Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings, it's because we know that God is doing something. We may not see it, We may not understand it, we may not like it, we may not even agree with it, but you need to know, in God's mind, there is a reason. And when I say that, remember, God is all wise, he's always good, he can never do evil, and he's all powerful. So, nothing touches your life. Cancer doesn't touch your life unless God says, I'm giving it permission. COVID, nothing touches your life unless God says, I'm giving it permission. I don't know why he does it. All I'm saying is that God is in control. So what Paul does then is he then lays out for us at least a little bit of how suffering is used by God. It's not the reason, but it's how suffering is used. Look what he says, suffering produces endurance. So many Christians say, oh, I want to become a Christian until it gets hard. Until all of a sudden, last week, right, we're talking about some of the hard things Jesus said, I'm out of here, I don't want any part of that. Or when it gets really difficult and I don't want to obey God, I'm out of here, I see this over and over. People get hurt, they want to step away. But suffering produces a perseverance, it produces an endurance. Endurance produces character. And character is getting lost in the Christian world today. People are doing and living however they want to live and not allowing Christ to shape them into the image of God. And then we allow, and you can just go on through the list of how Christians have compromised character. You read about almost a story a week, sometimes several, of Christian pastors that have compromised, that have fallen, because we do not hold on to this area of character any longer. And you can just see the ripple effect of how so much of character is compromised. Character, as you build character, it produces hope. This longing for more, this I want to be, totally like jesus christ i don't want mean attitudes anymore i don't want a disposition that's crazy i want god to change me and that produces a hope in me when i see my character changing when i see people's character changing in our church it fills me with hope that yes god is working i can't always see what god's doing but some of these things god lets us see and it gives us hope and look what it says hope then does not put us to shame. See, I'm telling you, God is changing people from the inside out. It's the only explanation for people that have had addictions, people that have been in all kinds of slavery and bondages, and God delivers them. But then look what it says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. This is the first time the Apostle Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. First time is right here. What he's saying is that as we persevere, as we experience these sufferings, the Holy Spirit is being poured out. The spirit of love. What is love? Love is this disposition of God that is radically centered on others. So how do you know if you love? Well, all you have to do is how other-centered are you? When you're in a conversation... Do you ever ask people, how are you doing? Tell me what's going on in your life. Tell me what God is doing versus it's all about you and all about what you want to say. See, this love that's being poured out, now there's a way to block this love. It's called quenching the Spirit. It's called throwing water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit is being poured out. If, If you're a true believer, this love is coming through. Or you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can just not walk in faith. So how do I know? You're other-centered, just like God is, radically other-centered. Now I want to ask a hard question. Where are you serving? See, if God's love is being poured out in your heart, you're going to want to serve love other people almost half the church is not serving and I'm like God if your spirit of love is being poured out what's going on that's too convicting we'll move on but that's what is happening here In chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, is God's Spirit's being poured out and God has gifted you to serve. He's gifted you so that you can bless people and minister to people so that you can splash grace water all over people. Well, let's hit the last one, the sixth one. We rejoice in God's words of reconciliation. That comes out of verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Where I was at odds with God, where I was hostile to God, Jesus Christ brought reconciliation. That is something to rejoice about. That is something good that God is doing so that we can be connected with him. Well, these are great things. These are reasons why I'm a believer. But, but as you think about this, what should happen as a result of this? Here's the first thing. I think a big takeaway. Now and then you get hammered by life and you've got to start preaching to yourself these very things. Sometimes you feel like, man, I have so messed up and I'm not worthy of God. You've got to come back and preach to yourself. Nope, I have peace with God. God has declared me right with Him. And it's not based on how I feel. It's not based on how I act. It's not based on anything of me. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ. You've got to preach to yourself these kinds of things that you have been reconciled, that you can rejoice in suffering because of Jesus Christ and what He is doing. Preach to yourself. Help others preach to themselves. And here's a second one. If you're not ashamed of the Gospel, tell them what God has done for you. Tell people. All you have to do is say something like this. i, I got to tell you what Jesus has done for me. I know this might sound really crazy, but, but he brought peace between me and God. You're just telling him your story. i got to tell you that God... God removed his wrath. I know that may not make sense to you, but the Bible says that God's pouring out his wrath on all ungodliness. And, 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 and i got to tell you what God did for me. He removed the wrath from me. God is, God is doing these different things. Let me just add a third. If the Spirit of God is pouring out his love in your heart, and he is, where are you serving? How are you making a difference in the kingdom? What does God want you to do? How are you releasing that love into this world so that you can be a channel? Well, God is always working. Even if we don't see it, he's always making a way. He's always at work doing something in our lives. It is so, so exciting. Let's pray. Father, you truly are an amazing God. We don't understand all that you're doing, but we believe it. We know that you're working when we don't see it. We know that you're doing things in our lives, even if we don't feel it. You are always making a way for all of us to be in your power, your strength, in your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.